Finley, what are you doing? I'm flying a kite. You are? Where is it? Right there. Is this the first time you're flying a kite? <laughs> That's so cool. We should try to hit people, right? Hey, 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 and welcome to Hot Marriage Cool Parents. Hello, hello. I'm Jamie Otis. Doug Hayner. And we just celebrated our seven-year anniversary. Yes, we did, in style, too. In style? Yeah, we got dressed up to go to the beach and then to get surprised to go to the batting cages. And then I accidentally booked the wrong day because I literally booked his so I got Doug at the batting cages and a scuba lessons for our anniversary. And when I booked the batting cages, I accidentally booked for the same day. It was like literally 1.43 in the morning. I remember vividly. I was nursing Hendrix and I was like, oh, you know, what could I get for Doug? And I'm just like Googling for some reason at 1.43 in the morning while I'm nursing Hendrix. I had been dropping hints about trying to find a batting cage because honestly, I haven't swung a bat or I feel like I haven't even played catch with anybody for so long. And going into last softball season, it was a disaster starting out because I had been like a year since I'd played. So he doesn't want to get too squeaky. But it was super sweet that Jamie thought of this and she rented out two lanes and we were going to go play. And the thought was there, but the timing just didn't work out. But <laughs> we had a great day, a great yeah. conversation, a great walk on the beach. We recorded a meditation. It was great. <laughs> we recorded a meditation yeah. for my course, Become Body Positive. No, but I could have kicked myself because... I meant to like make this great celebration for Doug, really, like just because like he's been doing such a great job of me with the kids. You know, I'm obviously doing Become Body Positive right now full force. And so he's been helping a lot with the kids. And I just wanted to like treat him and have it be really special for him. It was nice. And then like we show up and it's closed. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, the real prize was just the day, the conversation. And then there's also we book scuba lessons. And also we're going on a trip. Yeah, we're going to Vero Beach to celebrate our birthday. Um, um, our birthday? Uh, why do I keep saying that? I said that all day yesterday, celebrating our birthday. <laughs> all right. So happy so seven-year birthday. This is my brain, guys. Anyone listening, do you understand? So like, this is like the mom life brain. And it, I don't know, does it ever get better? Can you know what? People appreciate the mom brain. And because we love... Do? Yeah, well, each week we love giving a five-star review shout out. And this week is no different. So... We are going to... You literally say that every week. I know. We love giving a five-star review shout out, and this week is no different. That's right. <laughs> um, this week comes from Hillary72034. I have loved you guys and have been following you guys forever. And I also used therapy after a really bad marriage ended years ago. Thanks, Jamie, for being yourself. Uh, honestly, that's because last week I was talking about how I have started personal therapy again, but we're also starting couples therapy tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow, just because we could really use it. And maybe we'll have a dedicated podcast episode about, I mean, honestly, we're doing it more prophylactically than anything. Like we're trying to prevent issues in our marriage with Doug being a stay at home dad now and like the pandemic and, you know, parenting too, and just all the things, but you know, like we have our ups and downs just like anybody else. Yeah. And, uh, that would be a whole entire episode. And so I think if you guys want that, let me know. But otherwise, let's bring I'm going to plan on hiding a recorder in our session. So oh, In our therapy session? Yeah, no, that wouldn't be good. Yeah, that would break HIPAA guidelines. Yeah, but that's our guideline. Yeah, Anyways. Whatever. Let's bring Miss Bonnie Hainer on. 
So you guys know that each week we try to have my parents on to do a Married at First Sight recap, and we've been away for a couple weeks now, but I know that we have my mom on tonight who is fresh off watching the most recent episode, so let's bring on my mother. And we have a phenomenal guest today who I had the pleasure of speaking with, Kat Harris. It's not every day you find someone that's so open to talk about everything that's like a true Christian warrior, like nothing was off the table with this conversation and she is holding true to her word of staying a virgin until she's married and just she's really dissected the bible but and i thought that you said you guys talked about masturbation yeah because it was a topic because i was wondering if it's a sin to masturbate this is very interesting yeah because she has these open conversations but i mean she's so knowledgeable and she's really helped a lot of women out there. Well, what does she do? She's an author. She's a public speaker. She's a coach. She equips women all over the world in dating relationships, sexuality, faith, and how to build a healthy biblical sexual relationship. Very interesting. And she's got a very cleverly named book coming out, Sexless in the City. Yeah, that is a really good name. Yeah. She touches on topics about sexual misconduct and uh, um, growing up, you know, as a true Christian and combining religion, science, and actual real life. And it was a compelling interview. And I'm really happy that she was really open and honest to talk about everything and anything. That's awesome. Yeah, so she's coming on later today, but of course, first we have Miss Bunny Hainer. Let's get on. Let's get on. Let's get it on. With my mom. That's just weird. That got weird. <laughs> Hi, Ma. Well, welcome back to Hot Marriage Cool Parents after a couple weeks. Yes, yes, it's good to be back. Yes, we've missed a lot, but we just got off a very, very exciting episode. One where I think we started to learn the true colors of... The couples. Really? Why say that? Oh boy, oh boy. Based on the gifts that you give for the one month anniversary, that determines your true colors. Oh, does it? Yeah. What was your gift to me? I don't remember. Uh photo shoot. No, that was my gift to you. All right. (laughs) Wasn't that taking Jamie to a you know, you doing stand up comedy? I don't know if that's a gift to anybody. Yeah, really, Doug. That was your gift to me is that you did stand-up comedy and talked oh, yeah. about your penis. That's right. I worked you into a joke. <laughs> you said, oh, my mom loves my stand-up comedy. I was like, your mom listens to this? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, Doug, just for everyone listening, just so you know, Doug used to do some stand-up comedy, and his big thing was that he always talked about his penis. No, <laughs> It was a very big thing. It wasn't that big. But now it's a small thing. Right. I didn't only talk about I had other jokes that I would say. Well, I only remember the penis one, and I was like, I can't believe your mom. That's because you're perverted, and you only focus on the penis jokes. Okay. Well, people usually do focus on the perverted penis stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. So I'm, I'm not alone. Right. Anyway... So this season... Anyway, we're going to get started. Yes. I have to say, Chris is still a dick. And I'm so glad that Paige finally, finally, finally wised up and, uh, you know, said that's it. I'm so glad that she... You know, I feel so bad that she had to get so hurt. But your father and I were sitting here looking at each other saying... She has tried 
everything he mm-hmm. knows how. Yeah. And he's just a complete idiot. You know, I wonder if he can watch this back and say to himself, God, I was really good. You know, I kind of get a sense that he's the type of person that would say that, though, like felt like he put his heart out there and said everything honestly and openly. And you can't judge him for that. And he obviously wasn't ready to be married and he just didn't like Paige ever. No, he wasn't. And that was very, very, very unfair to Paige. He looked for every which way to get out. And I'm so glad that, you know. She's going to look for, you know, I'm watching this episode. She said, I'm still looking. I'm going to find love and I'm going to find happiness. And I'm glad that she felt that way. So I don't know if the rest of the episodes will see him or her. But I'd like to see what she does and where she ends up. You know, she's, I think she'll end up standing on her feet. You know, she doesn't seem to me like... She'd be one to be, she should be feel really bad and knocked down, but she's not that type of person. So no, no. she'll pick up and she'll just go right on. Well, and I think we also saw the final straw with another couple, Haley and Jacob tonight. Oh, well, I think that was a little doom to begin with. I didn't think, you know, just by the monotone voice he has like this, I just didn't see them as a couple anyway. You know, my son was halfway. Then each week it went down, down, down. And after tonight's show where, you know, he said about her not liking him or whatever, I don't know what else she could do other than stand on her head and, you know, whistle (laughs) Dixie. But He wouldn't even make eye contact with her. No, he's really boring. No, I, and he needs somebody that's back in the 80s with him. No, you know what you it know? is? I truly think that, you know, he got to a point where it was, he was in his head because he's said this a couple other times on other episodes. Well, you're probably thinking this. Well, I didn't do this because you probably would have said that. Like he's thinking for yeah, her. Exactly. And he plays out all these scenarios that hasn't really happened yet. And it's like, you know, right. he's. Sounds a lot like your sister, but uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's almost like how dare you put words in my mouth? I wasn't even, you know, thinking that or saying that, and here you are. You're talking to me like uh, you know me a hundred percent. Yeah, I feel and, like uh, he I- wants her to like him, and so because of that, he's like shy to like. I don't know, maybe. It's almost like he's hoping for an apology from her for yeah, something. Yeah, for something. But like, or, and he wants her to like him, yeah. but then he doesn't, then he kind of goes on the attack all yeah. the time. And it's like, well, she's not going to like you. He's like, he's, oh my God, he's just, you know, it's a wonder why he's never really had any type of relationships. I mean, just his monotone and. Well, there's somebody out there for everybody, and yeah. including oh, him. Sure. You know, but like the weird thing that I heard from him tonight was. Well, you could even tell from the wedding where it was kind of like her pulling back for the first kiss. And it's like they weren't on the same page from the start. Like, you've got to be kidding me. It's like, come on. You can't. You're a month away from the wedding now. Like, Like I got two cheeks on my wedding night. (laughs) And now we've got two babies. So I stole the second cheek. (laughs) 
<laughs> but what about no, Brianna and Vincent? Just, they were cute tonight. Yeah, they were really cute. I mean, I thought the guys did a really, really, really good job on their anniversary type thing. Yeah. I, I really, really did. I thought that was very cute where, you know, they were on a boat. And I thought it was very cute for Clara and Ryan to set up a movie, you know, a movie type thing in their backyard. Wait, I real fast, Bonnie. Cute. I wanted to ask you, what do you think about Clara and Ryan? Well, I think he better start showing her a little bit of loving. Yeah, right. uh, I mean, you could just see that she is so frustrated. Yeah. By the redness of her neck. Oh, my God. I thought that was a sunburn. But, you know, she even said the physical is she needs that intimacy. You know, that's kind of like solidifies that he's really trying and, yeah. and everything else. And you, you know what the you know, what's harmful with that too is that he seems like the kind of person that doesn't want to ever talk about it or openly talk about it in front of like strangers, meaning like like exactly. sex and intimacy, like he wants to keep it internal but especially on the camera. Because mommy and daddy might be watching. And that's actually kind of a good point. You know, I could get that. But it's like she's clearly. She is trying. Yeah. And trying. Like she's doing everything short of just like grabbing him and forcing him down. Maybe that's what she should do. Yeah. You know, like, you know, let's say, come on, let's stop this, you know, and let's get down to it. Well, I feel like when. I feel like when they were talking prior to the helicopter ride, she said, you know, like, are you happy that you're still with me? Or are you happy you married me? Like, would you marry me again? And and he goes, yeah, pal. And she literally started crying. She held it back. She did a good job. I don't even know if he noticed, but like she started crying because she's like, pal, I'm your wife. How about, yeah, my wife. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that in the second season with Ryan and Jacqueline, right? Where they were mm-hmm. saying, where like they were both calling each other buddy. Mm-hmm. It's like, is he putting Clara uh, in the friend in zone? Season, prior season. Yeah. You know, I kind of have hope for them. I think, you know, once they do it, then, you know. Yeah. I think that'll be the make or break for them. You know, I mean, there's such anticipation towards it now. Yeah, but, you know, I would hope that they'd make it because I really do think they're cute. I really do think that they're a cute couple, and I really, really hope that. And I know Brianna and Vincent, I mean, even if the upcoming episodes, you know, you see lots and lots of drama with them, I think they'll still, I think they'll make it and stay together. I think so, too. And just going back to Clara, you know, history has shown that couples that don't, have sex during married at first sight season do last a little bit longer when they choose to stay together. How are you knowing that Douglas? Because we've been together for seven years. That's right. (laughs) You know, I knew it had to last. I knew it had to last. Yeah. People rooting for you. You and Jamie was unreal. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, how about the last couple, Eric and Virginia? You know, he's so mature and she's, tries to be mature but I, I like them I think you know my my son was in the middle now it's gone a little upward because I think out of all of well maybe Brianna and Vincent but I think out of all the couples they really have good communication yeah well he forces it really I mean he's a great communicator and wants to talk about everything and you know I mean he does take control yeah 
But, you know, some of those things have to be, you know, addressed. Like, you know, I'm afraid that you're going to leave me. You know, she has all those issues. Yeah. And I just think that those things have to be addressed. You want to get to know each other. You talk about everything. Yep. Yeah. And I think that he's a good communicator. I think Seems it's a like he... that they said they love each other I think after so. only... You know, three weeks they said they loved each yeah. other. Jamie just went to go get Hendrix because he just started crying. But I was literally sitting on the couch and I was looking. I was like, it's weird to me that couples are saying I love you so quickly during this experiment. It's like it's getting thrown out there. And like, I don't know if it's, I guess time will tell, but I don't know if it's harmful to do it that quick. Um, exactly. Well, you know, I'm sure now there's, what, four weeks left. So we're going to see some drama as they get to know each other more. There'll be a situation that comes up, and uh, it'll be new to both of them. And, you know. Yeah, you know, everybody has to go through that argument, go past the boundaries, you know, at least once and figure out how. And I just hope that we see Paige. I don't care if I ever see Chris again, you know. It wouldn't make good TV for me because I can't stand the man. <laughs> but I'd like to see Paige. I think she's a great person. I really, really do. And she did not deserve to be treated that way. No, she'll and do I'm fine. Sure, I'm sure that if the experts knew about half the stuff with him, they would never have put her in that position. I guarantee they wouldn't have. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, Viviana and especially Dr. Cal, they were like really surprised and pissed of that, you know? Well, these experts take pride in the show. I mean, they're they're putting themselves out there and, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And they don't like to see failure, you know. I mean, they do work hard, but I just think because... I don't think he was truthful. I don't think Chris was truthful at all. No, I think Chris has duped a lot of people through, you know, over the years, which it's, I mean, it seems like. He just wanted his 15 minutes of fame. I think that that's, you know, and in the past seven or eight or nine episodes, you know, I mean, years, seven years of Married at First Sight, you know that there's always everybody, once the first season came out, everybody knew what to expect. So if they got on it and they wanted their face on TV, they had their 15 minutes of fame. Most of the time, they were really true to be there, but, you know, right? You know, I honestly think that people see it as a shot of hope. You know, it could be successful. Then there's been a lot of successful couples. But I also do think that there's a lot of other options that are out there. And I think that, you know, once Chris saw Paige and decided that he didn't like her, I think that was it for him. You know, I just wonder if it would be a different story if Paige was his type and looked like his type of woman. I'm actually kind of happy that she doesn't because like, who would want to be married to someone like that? He has a lot of personal growth to do. I, I just feel so bad for Paige to have been put through this. And I mean, it wasn't, as they got to know each other, it was when they got married <laughs> that he threw up those flags and I would have said, oh my God, what did I get myself into? 
and it just went downhill from the wedding day. Yeah. Well, we love your feedback. And, you know, because we're in Florida and you're in New Jersey, this is kind of our way to sit at home and watch TV with you. And we love doing this. And I know everybody on Hot Marriage Cool Parents loves your feedback and your comments and everything. And I love you, Mom. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right, love. I love you both very much. So Kat Harris is the host of the Refined Collective podcast and co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. She coaches and equips women all over the world in dating, relationships, singleness, sexuality, faith, and how to build a renewed and healthy biblical sexual ethic rooted in freedom, truth, and grace, as opposed to the oh-so-common shame and fear narrative so many experience growing up in evangelical culture. She is also an author. Spoiler alert, her first book, Sexless in the City, will hit bookstores April 2021. And she has also been a full-time photographer for the last decade with her work featured in Vanity Fair, GQ, Forbes, People, Who, What, Where, Us Weekly, Glamour UK, and more. Ultimately, her vision is for women to know their beauty, identity, worth, and value, and to experience untapped freedom and joy in their lives regardless of their relationship status. Kat Harris, we are so excited to have you on Hot Marriage Cool Parents. Welcome. Hey, Doug. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I'm excited to chat and hopefully have some real talk today. I'm excited to get into some nitty gritty, hopefully. Yeah, we love nitty gritty. <laughs> I'm not sure if you know my wife and I's story, but we are pretty much an open book. I love it. It's funny, the whole sexuality, ethic, and everything, this sounds very familiar to how the psychological testing and married at first sight was set up because they had us go through all of that in the beginning to match us up with a perfect match mm-hmm. or on paper scientifically. But yeah, so Jamie and I were, were stalking your Instagram and <laughs> you are an absolute boss babe. I mean, <laughs> you do so much and I really would love to have you maybe just start telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Well, first, thanks so much for having me. I am so fascinated by y'all's story and maybe another day, another time over some wine, we can (laughs) talk about that. But yeah, so I am a relationship coach. I just wrote the book, Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And yeah, like you said, I host a podcast. I have online curriculum for primarily single women of faith. And honestly, in everything that I do, my heart and my mission is to really equip women to walk through their lives with agency, autonomy, worthiness, and vision, because I think it can be so easy to really allow ourselves to be defined by external pressures or external obligation. Well, I should do this. I should date this person. I shouldn't date this other person, as opposed to my mission is to really equip people with the tools to navigate their lives from an inside out place. Very, very cool. And I know, especially nowadays with so much access to information and so many different apps and things where you can meet people on and well, not now with COVID, but we grew up with the old fashioned, you meet somebody out somewhere, whether it's the grocery store, church or at the bar and you actually meet them face to face. And now everything is just online. Kind of going back to what started all this, was there a point in your life where you took this mission upon yourself or was this something that you were very passionate in? Yeah. I mean, that's such a good question. I think honestly, for me, it's evolved so much over the years. 
Like you mentioned, I've been in the photography industry for over a decade. And when I started The Refined Woman, it wasn't a place for coaching or relationships. It was primarily a style blog. And I was doing social media strategy for different fashion brands and marketing. And I really never really talked publicly about faith or singleness or relationships. And really when that started shifting for me was three to five years ago-ish. And really it was on the heels of a personal journey, a personal journey of really coming to terms with who I am as a human and what I believe and don't believe about God, what I do or don't believe about my body, sex, intimacy, and all of those things. And really in my personal life, before it was ever a public thing, it was me getting to a place in my life where I realized I have no idea why I am showing up the way I'm showing up outside of someone once told me that the Bible said something (laughs) about sex. And so I really internalized a lot of really oppressive and shaming narratives about my body, about who I am as a woman, about sex and dating. And so as I really began to deconstruct a lot of my faith and deconstruct a lot of those really shaming ideologies and then rebuild a framework rooted not in fear, but in wholeness, I just was like, we need to be talking about this. Why is talking about sex taboo? Why does shame have so much of a stronghold in how we do or do not show up in our relationships? And then I'm an external processor. (laughs) So the more I would talk to my friends about here's what I'm learning and here's what I'm learning about the body and here's what I'm learning about intimacy, it just kind of not snowballed because it wasn't a quick overnight thing for me. But even just with my friends, they were like, you have to talk about this publicly. So once I started publicly on my platform asking questions like, is masturbation a sin? What are healthy gender roles? Is it really the woman's job to uphold male sexual integrity? Why are women always blamed when men do unhealthy, toxic things towards us? Is sex outside of marriage still a viable option in our modern culture? And once I started asking those questions out loud, it was like, honestly, I feel like the picture I get is that I feel like I was in a dark room and I would ask all these questions and be totally rejected and light my little match and then it blow (laughs) out. But when I lit this match in a dark room, all of a sudden, all these other people started lighting matches. And I realized, wow, like everyone's dying to ask these questions, but no one knows they have the permission to go there. So that's kind of how it all started. And then from there, it was, man, if there's an elephant in the room, if there's a taboo topic, that's what I want to move towards. Those are the things I want to talk about. Yeah. And I mean, for us, when Jamie and I first started to try to have a baby and start a family, that was one of the things that came up was, you know, how early is it okay to start talking about some of the taboo things with your kids? Mm. And, you know, it's different from when we were growing up. I was born in 82. Uh, You know, we really didn't have, the internet wasn't what it was, you know, when I was going through college and everything. But the access that kids have now, there is, uh, I would want my kids learning from me or my wife rather than exploring the internet and trying to find it out themselves. And is there any certain age range where you would say, yeah, this is a good time to bring up some of these taboo topics? Yeah. Oh, I... 
Well, first, I think even how you're positioning the question shows that we're stepping into an advantage that we ourselves didn't have when we were children, because even as you said, I want to be talking to my kids about this. Typically, our parents' generation and the generation before that, it was, you don't talk about sex. Maybe you get a pamphlet on your bed. But typically, when we were growing up, it was, well, you might get the birds and the bees. You might not. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. So let's leave that to school. Well, most schools in America don't have a comprehensive sex ed program. Mm -mm. If they do, it's typically one awkward 30-minute session. Yeah. It's family life with a gym teacher teaching the yeah, class. Yeah, and and so <laughs> we're not really getting sex ed from school, and and at that it's primarily abstinence only teaching. Which statistically speaking, abstinence only sex ed has the highest rates of unexpected and unwanted pregnancies, highest rates of STDs among teens. Um, so that's not really working. And then so people go to the church. Well, the church, again, abstinence only, sex is bad, you're bad, gross, don't, <laughs> right. Wait till you get shut married. it down. <laughs> and so where are our kids learning about sex? The primary way young people are learning about sex right now is through pornography. I was just going to say that. I mean, most of my sexual history, I lost my virginity at 16, mm-hmm. and it was with a close friend of mine mm-hmm. uh, who's still a close friend. But you know, before that, it was just guys talking and then learning from pornography. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this was never really brought up on, you know, you you have morals and it's a family's responsibility to teach, you know, how to respect others, how to respect women and how to respect men and boundaries and what's good and bad. And, you know, most of that isn't really taught, you know, in school, Mm -hmm. but pornography was probably one of the primary places where you learn kind of almost how to have sex. Yeah. It's instead it's, of just it's figuring kind of the it out. lowest hanging fruit, right? Yeah. It's there and and now everyone has phones, so it's at our fingertips. And personally I think there's a lot that's super problematic about porn. It often teaches violence against women. It prioritizes male pleasure over female pleasure. There's yeah. no like mutual reciprocal relationship <laughs> or intimacy going on. And more than half of the people in the porn industry are being trafficked. So there's a lot of harmful things. So how then, back to your question, do we start addressing these conversations with our children and at what ages? I mean, I think it starts super young. I think it starts as young as teaching our children what their genitals are actually called. So instead of saying in the bathtub, let's wash your hoo-ha. <laughs> right. You know, right there, we're already shaming. We're already shaming we're making our it sexual a dirty organs. Word, yeah, much. like, ew, yeah. gross, we don't say the real thing. So I think even from the time our children are young and infants to, okay, we're going to say the word vagina and we're going to say the word penis because those mm. aren't gross or yucky words. Those are part of our body parts. And mm-hmm. so I think to begin that conversation starts super young. And then the average age of a person being exposed to pornography is around five years old. So to just be having open conversations with your children, I think even from a young age about body parts and even consent, like, yeah. you know, we, this is your vagina or this is your penis. Like no one else gets to touch it. No one right. else gets no to No one makes secrets about it or yeah. anything. And if anyone does, talk to your parents about this. Mm-hmm. You don't get to touch anyone else. And and so 
I think from a very young age, having normalizing conversations about the body parts, about even just consent, I think is the beginning of that conversation. And that can start really young. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you think about any of that. You're the one with the kids. um, (laughs) I always was, yeah, I was always was one of those, you know, we'll, We'll tackle it when it comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we do want to be proactive about it. And we have started to kind of implement that type of talk, you know, in the mm-hmm. bathtub and just knowing the body parts, I think, for her, that my daughter, who's going on four now. But I did want to transition towards your book, which mm-hmm. was such a clever title, by no, the way, Sex- Sexless in the City. But I know your faith is very important to you, and you recently wrote a book, Sexless in the City. So I wanted to ask you about sexuality and your choice as a more progressive Christian to remain a virgin. Pardon the interruption, but before we get into that, I do want to give a quick shout out to a couple of our sponsors, first being Third Love. Now, if you are a woman out there that has issues with finding a comfortable bra, finding the right size, look no further than Third Love. Third Love uses measurements of millions of women to design bras with all-day comfort and support. They have a super fun quiz at their fitting room, which is easy, interactive, and it focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, and personal style to deliver bras and underwear that are perfect for you. Not only that, but they have fit stylists that are available for one-on-one chats to answer any questions that you have. And when you go to their site, thirdlove.com, they have over 80 sizes, including no slip straps, half cups, everything from double A to I, and a ton of different styles to choose from, from classic lace, which actually feels soft, to their number one rated 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. The times that we're living in now, comfort wear is the new workwear. But whether it's working or yoga or just running errands, you can get new third love lounge bras that can be your everyday bras and if you love companies that give back third love donates all of their gently used return bras to women in need and so far they have donated over 40 million dollars in bras which is absolutely amazing so women it's time to let go of your bad bra your boobs deserve better Check out Third Love, who knows your true fit is out there. So right now, you can get 20% off your first order by going to thirdlove.com slash HMCP to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash HMCP for 20% off. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E dot com slash HMCP. And last but certainly not least, Graflance. Now, if you are annoyed by your face mask, if you haven't found one that fit or one that's been fogging up your glasses or one that's just not durable, look no further than Graflance. I am so pumped to have found this company because of these face masks. And the company itself is a home and lifestyle accessories brand based out of Los Angeles and dare I say produce the most comfortable, durable, and sustainable face mask that I've ever put on my face. And they are top rated by academic studies from NYT Wirecutter in breathability and reducing glasses fog. And now they offer a few different styles and materials. They have the organic cotton face mask, which is by far the most comfortable mask ever, which is available in regular and petite sizes. 
but their Zenbu organic cotton mask was included in a study by the New York Times Wirecutter putting 25 different masks up to the test at an independent academic research lab for filtration, efficiency, and breathability testing. Their mask is the top-rated mask with a filter, offering great performance, but also offering the most comfortable fit, an excellent fit. They also have European linen face masks, which is their luxury-grade handmade in Los Angeles from premium Belgian linen and dyed with eco-friendly practices in the United States. They also have merino wool textiles, which is wool felt sourced from the merino wool sheep. Now, this textile is prized for its stain and water resistance, super easy to clean and care for, 100% natural and grown year-round from these sheep, 100% biodegradable, so their wool fibers naturally and quickly decompose in soil, Epic durability, so the average lifetime of wool items is 50% longer than cotton. And if you love a company that gives back with each purchase, 10 meals are donated to Feeding America with a total of 3 million meals donated so far. So for the next 30 days, you can get 15% off any purchase at graphlance.com when you use the code marriage. That's graphlance, G-R-A-F-L-A-N-T-Z.com. Use the code marriage to get 15% off. This will be the very last face mask that you'll ever want to buy. Graphlance.com. Use the code marriage to get 15% off. Okay, enough about our sponsors. Let's get back to Kat. Oh my goodness. Do you have like seven hours? (laughs) (laughs) Not seven, but yeah, we have have a few minutes. So, (laughs) oh goodness. So, I grew up in Texas, which in the early 2000s, late 90s. So, it was sort of the height of evangelical culture, the height of what's known as the purity movement. And the purity movement was really this big campaign put on by evangelical Christians to get high school students not to have sex outside of marriage. Is that the purity rings? Is that purity rings, books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye, True Love Waits. And so I grew up in that culture and I learned very early on good Christians don't have sex. I learned that boys are more sexual than girls. And because of that, boys will be boys and they're so weak. And so it's our job as girls, as women to cover our bodies and to protect men from quote unquote sinning or stumbling into temptation. And so I learned these beliefs when I was a teenager and, and, you know, I didn't really question them. I thought, you know, I love God. I have had this profound experience with God and, I'm being told that this is God's way, that this is God's best, and I want to be in alignment with that. And so I didn't really question very many or any of those narratives until I moved to New York City about 10 years ago. And when I moved to New York, that was really the first time that I wasn't just surrounded by all people who believed what I believed about God and sex. And for the first time in my life, I was dating a ton. I dated more in one year in New York City than I had in an entire decade. Good for (laughs) you. And it was super fun. And I started realizing some things. I realized, oh my gosh, it's a lot harder not to have sex when I'm actually dating. 
And I also learned that my resolve to abstain was actually very thin when given the chance to abstain. And really, it was on the heels of a really bad breakup. I totally fell for this guy. We had this sort of whirlwind romance, and we didn't technically have sex, but it was it was definitely a technical game <laughs> at that point. And <laughs> In the breakup, I just was heartbroken and confused and really tired of trying to negotiate my physical boundaries, and I was tired of feeling ashamed, and I really had no idea what I believed about sex outside of, I think the Bible tells me not to have sex, but I couldn't tell you myself any verse in the Bible that actually said it, and yeah. So I ended up going on a journey that I thought would be a quick little Google research, like, what does the Bible say about sex? And, oh, great, I'll find my answer. And that turned into about a five-year journey of me researching every single verse in the Bible that talked about sex and intimacy. And then not only seeing, okay, what does what does my source of truth say? So my source of truth as a person of faith, part of that comes from the scriptures. It also comes from my own personal experiences. It comes from research. What does science say? Uh, does science have anything compelling to say about orgasms and intimacy? And so... I deconstructed everything. Like I just said, we're just taking the whole ship apart. <laughs> yeah. Open and it up. <laughs> let's just open it up. Let's tease it out. Let me ask any and every question that I've ever had. And I will tell you that I was shocked when I ended that journey being like, you know what? I actually do want to still choose to wait. And I I feel like it was like the big cosmic joke on me because that is not what I thought was going to happen. And yeah. honestly, some of the most profound things that I found were in my scientific research about the body and what happens neurologically when we experience pleasure and intimacy with another human. So yeah, I ended, I can go into more specifics if you want, but I sure. think- in all of it, like, I, I want to make clear, like, I'm not here to, like, tell you, like, sex outside of marriage is bad or wrong or you're going to hell. Like, I don't believe that. What I really want is to empower you or the person listening to be in their own story. And how can you show up in your life with freedom and vision and agency and from a place where you're motivated from the inside out? Because for so long, I felt like a victim to Christianity. I felt like a a victim to what other people thought I should or shouldn't do and that's like that's control. So much control. I mean that it's almost like being a prisoner. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not allowing yourself to experience the full pleasure and just the full amount of life without regret or without feeling shame like you put it, mm -hmm. which yeah, totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, for me, what it kind of came down to is I saw in the Bible that, okay, it actually does say <laughs> to not have sex outside of marriage, but it also doesn't say if you have sex outside of marriage, you're going to hell. It doesn't say if you have sex yeah. outside of marriage, you're not a Christian. And I think I equated those things. I thought, oh, wow, sure. you can't be a Christian and have sex outside of marriage. And and so I think for me, those things got enmeshed and that needed to be pulled apart. And was there anything in the Bible that stated that masturbation was a sinful act? 
No. I mean, there's so much that's not clear in scripture. If I want to know, should I marry this person? Like, <laughs> you know, their name isn't going to be in the Bible. No. And and there's dating as we know it today didn't exist historically in times when the Bible and religious texts were written. So people say, well, is online dating a sin? Well, you know, <laughs> what should I, is all this stuff a sin? And I'm like, we can't really go to scripture for those things because they didn't exist, but I think we can right. find wisdom. And I think the first thing, when I approach a conversation around masturbation, and everyone always asks me, is masturbation a sin? And the first thing I want to define is sin. What is sin? And right. I even think for me, as a person of faith, sin can feel like a very triggering and shaming, <laughs> shaming word. And a few years ago, a friend told me, a sin is a decision or action that I make that separates me from myself, from others, and God. And something about that really helped me. It was not like a tit-for-tat game, but it was like, oh, I make decisions all the time that like separate me from myself and from others and also the divine. And so what are mm. decisions that I can make to keep me connected to myself and others and the divine? So when talking about masturbation, I think it's more a conversation of, is this going to be a win for you? Is this going to be a win for me? And perhaps it's not a uniform answer for all people. I mean, I think we can look at something like alcohol. Is alcohol a sin? No. But maybe one person is not drinking alcohol because there's addiction in their family and they don't sure. want to go there. Maybe another person drinks alcohol and then becomes an alcoholic, so they're not going to go there. <laughs> and then there's other people that can drink casually and it's totally fine and it's a win for them. Are any of those people wrong? No, I don't think so. And so I think it's similar when we come to a conversation about masturbation. I think is are there areas, are there ways where masturbation could be harmful? Let's talk about that. I think sure. masturbation yeah. can be harmful when is it isolating me from relationship with others? Is it becoming an addiction? Is it pointing me towards pornography? Is pornography in or out of alignment with your value system? Then maybe masturbation isn't a win for you. Right. Is masturbation causing you to live in sort of a fantasy world where no real person will ever live up to the hype of the person in your head? Maybe that's you know, that's when it becomes, I think, an issue. And to me, sin was always something that was just really internal. Mm. You know, like people can see you sinning, but the effect of the sin comes from the person. You know, yeah. if you're not which I think it might be tricky with someone that is heavily religious or, you know, some of the older generation where, you know, it really weighs heavy on them. Yeah. Where some of the younger generation, I think it's more interpretive to where, you know, we want to feel free. And right. I think that change and, and like you said, the the times have completely changed from when <laughs> that was written. And it's mm -hmm. it's almost comparable to, you know, interpreting the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution and everything, which was written how many years ago? And, you know, does it apply today? But from just speaking to that and your research and everything, going into your dating scene through yeah. New York, did you ever feel pressured in a sexual situation? And what do you have to say to people that do not want to have sex, but their partner is kind of 
guilting them into it. Yeah, for sure. Well, first, can we close the loop on the masturbation conversation? Yes, sure. Okay. I'm always down to talk about masturbation. <laughs> so I, because I, as yeah. it's important to ask, is this something that can be harmful for me? I think it's equally important to ask, is this something that can be healthy for me? Because I think we focus on it's bad, it's bad, it, here's all the bad ways. But I think if we're going to look at something, we need to look at it from every facet and asset or from from every facet inside. And so I think masturbation can be a really beautiful thing because it can help me give informed and enthusiastic consent in my sexual encounters. I think part of masturbation and self-pleasure is also accepting my body as good and acknowledging that I have sexual desire and acknowledging that my genitals are a good thing. And I think- and yeah we can't give what we don't have. So if I judge my desire as disgusting or gross or dirty, then I'm going to judge my partners. So yeah, I think self-pleasure can actually be a really beautiful way to explore our bodies, connect with ourselves, even connect with the divine, and really have be able to show up in our lives with more informed and enthusiastic consent. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes tough coming from a guy's point of view, but I always was a big proponent of, and I'm not like a serial masturbator, but I do think that it's a great way to get in touch with yourself. Um, You know, not no pun intended there, but if you are looking to gain more pleasure, if you are looking to kind of have that satisfaction with somebody, what better way than to know what turns you on, know what works, know how to communicate that, and why not make that part of your life great? with somebody, especially if you can share it. And obviously the flip side of that is, you know, it it can desensitize you from human interaction in some ways. But I always thought of masturbation as a great way to bridge the conversation of how do we pleasure each other, you know, with you you and your partner. I don't know. That was always my take on that. I think that's so good. And, And just like the conversation of alcohol, there's a big chasm between total abstinence of alcohol and being a raging alcoholic. There's a big spectrum there. Same with masturbation. There's a big wide space between being completely shut down to your sexual desire and being a raging like sexual (laughs) addict or a porn addict or a (laughs) masturbation addict, whatever it is. And so I think the question as opposed to is masturbation a sin, is this going to be something that's a win for me? And at times in my life, that answer is 100% yes. At other times, it might be no. At other times, I might be unsure. So I want to empower us and each other and myself to just be curious about when a desire comes up as opposed to looking externally, well, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this a sin? Is this not? But what is it that I'm looking for right now? Oh, wow. I'm trying to isolate or I'm afraid and I want to masturbate. Or it's like, no, it's like a Tuesday afternoon and I'm feeling turned on like a normal human, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if this is kind of off topic, but and growing up and having kind of the religious background that you have, Mm -hmm. um, what was your first so-called sin? Do you recall or have you sinned ever in your life? I'm assuming everybody has sinned well, at least I think, once. Or what would be considered one? Yeah, well, I think if we're going by the definition that sin is an action or something that separates me from myself, God, and others, then mm-hmm. I think we're doing that all the time. And I yeah. didn't grow up in a religious home. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I wasn't taught 
about sin yeah. growing up. And, and I guess where I was going with the question yeah. of that is, you know, afterwards, is it more of you beating yourself up or is it just feeling guilt, feeling mm. shame and how to kind of overcome that? Yeah. Well, I think let's just talk about any situation where there's a breakdown, whether yeah. it's, man, I got in a conflict with one of my really good friends and I realized after the fact I was totally gaslighting her. <laughs> like mm. this is something real for my life that I did recently. And I think gaslighting, first of all, it separates me from myself. It separates me from that person. And I think when we're separating ourselves from each other, then we're also separating ourselves from the divine because I think the God image is in all humans. And so in that what I think the awareness of that, we can call that sin, we can call it a breakdown, whatever you want to call that, that moment, I had an opportunity to make steps towards restoration, make steps towards wholeness, reach back out to my friend and I say, hey, I want to acknowledge in our last conversation, I realized I did X, Y, Z, and I am so sorry will you forgive me? I don't want to be a person that gaslights. Gaslighting sucks. I've been gaslit. And so I think the acknowledgement of the breakdown or the acknowledgement of the sin or whatever you want to call it, that we can either allow that to bring us into a further hole of shame or allow it to be the activator that activates us to step towards freedom and wholeness. Gotcha. Yeah. And and I mean, that totally makes sense. And just kind of switching topics towards, towards your book and, yeah. you know, through Jamie's Instagram page, through Hot Marriage, Cool Parents, and especially now with her Become Body Positive, there's a lot of women that reach out to her and talk about how they struggle because they're single. And mm-hmm. I would love for you to kind of give them some peace of mind and why it's not a bad thing and shouldn't really have a negative connotation around single. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So gosh, I think if first things first, and this is coming from, I'm 35 years old. I'm single. I am actively dating. I want to be married. I want to have kids, all the things. So that's kind of my caveat before I Give my little TED talk to (laughs) someone who's walking through singleness is, is first and foremost is being single is not a condition. It's not an illness. You are not JV to the varsity of married people or people that are in relationships. And I think unfortunately, so much of our culture revolves around sex and the nuclear family. And so if you don't have this thing, you are other. And I think one of the base human longings is to belong and to be known and seen and accepted. And so I think it really bums me out that we have a culture that doesn't celebrate milestones in a single person's life the way it celebrates milestones in the married couple's life. So I'm single. I've been a bridesmaid 17 times. I have thrown wedding showers, bachelorette parties, engagement parties. I've stood up on the altar with friends. I have thrown their baby showers and children's one-year birthdays and all of that. And I think what has made me sad is to see how everything that we celebrate in our culture is for the family. And I love that. I will be at your child's birthday. I will buy them the expensive gift that they don't need. (laughs) I will buy the ugly dress to be in your wedding and I won't complain once. But (laughs) what are we doing to honor and celebrate 
people in our lives outside of their relationship status. And so I first, I want to acknowledge that that's a painful dynamic in our culture. And even to the person in the relationship that hears this, I want to challenge you to be curious about your friend's life outside of just whether or not they're dating someone. Yeah. It is weird how it you, you almost grow up on, you know, if you're married, it sort of equals success in a way, For you know, sure. not so much professionally, but you know, if you're of a certain age, oh, you're married. Oh, you have a kid. Oh, that's great. Person in that same age, when that's brought up, it's like, oh, you haven't found anyone yet? Or, you know, are you dating? Are you looking? It's, it's like, it's almost like a somber mood to the conversation. Yeah. Well, it's like the question underneath the question is what's wrong with you? Right. Yeah. yeah. There's something must be a little bit off. And it's like when someone says, I don't drink, you know, it's just like, like, oh, oh what's wrong with you then? Yeah. Oh, you have a problem? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's so important to just embrace that my purpose, our purpose is not defined by a relationship status. And I think one of the beautiful things about being single is that you get to do what you want to do. What lights you up? What gets you excited? Do more of those things, whether it's a business venture or, oh, you want to save for that trip to Paris. You want to buy a house. A huge thing for me was I felt like I was waiting to be financially stable until I met a partner. And then a few years ago, I was like, no, I get to be that. So I got out of debt and I bought my first property last year. And Good for you. Thank you. So that felt like really exciting. So I would say, don't wait for your life to start until one day when. And then finally, and this is super practical, we are a culture that's so intentional about our careers. We'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on education. We'll do free internships. We'll move cross country for that promotion. But when it comes to love, we say things like, well, you know, if it, if it happens, it'll happen. Or, you know, I don't want to play God or well, online dating doesn't work for me. I want to encourage and challenge us as single people to be just as intentional about our dating lives as we are about our careers. Does your life reflect that you have space in your life for a relationship? Do you actively pursue dating? Are you willing to get like a relationship coach or gather a group of friends and be intentional about online dating for a season? I think we complain often about being single. And then I talk to a lot of my clients and I'm like, so how do you spend your time? And they're like, well, girls night on Monday, we watch The Bachelor. Tuesday night's yoga. Wednesday night is girls happy hour. Thursday night we might go out, but we're just hanging out with our group of friends at the bar. And I'm like, well, of course you're single. (laughs) Like you have a life that revolves around female centric activities. So Let's be intentional about putting ourselves out there. Sure. And I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing to wait. I always saw the whole professional thing as almost, an, I mean, some people just don't have time, but it's also an excuse. And there's something that's happening at some point in their life. And when you're ready to have somebody else enter your life, then you'll know that you're ready. You know, it's yeah. a, if you wait too long, sometimes it just may never happen, which is okay. Yeah. It's it's totally okay. Yeah, I think the point is to ask yourself, what is it that I really want? And is my life reflecting that desire? So yeah, I think but it's I, really important to honor, like, here's what I really want. And if I don't meet someone and I just don't meet someone, then then so be it. But if I'm in my own way, 
now I can do something about that. I can take ownership sure. for how I'm showing up. Yeah. And I like what you said too about, you know, moving across country for a promotion and, you know, we would spend money to take a class, to learn something to better our professional life. You know, why some people would shy away from trying to better their relationship life. So when you are ready, when you do feel that you would want somebody in your life, why not have that relationship coach? Yeah. You know, why not use the resources that are available? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a great thing anytime. And sure. on that note though, and just speaking towards singleness and do you believe in the one <laughs> that there's the one? Yeah. Uh, I have an easy answer to that question. Short answer is no, I do not believe in the one. And I believe the one becomes the one when we choose them. And I think the obsession that we have with the one and soulmates can really prevent us from meeting other people that are incredible. And often love looks differently for ourselves. I mean, your story, prime example, did you ever think you were going to find love this way? No. And I tell people that all the time, you know, for me, it was like, I I really enjoy awkward and weird situations. And, you know, I was just at a point where I was ready to settle down when this presented itself, you know, the whole concept of married at first sight. Mm -hmm. There were, when we first were introduced to the whole show, we were in a group of a big room full of just guys. And they Mm -hmm. introduced this show, which they called the love experiment at first. Mm -hmm. And they had these four experts that came out in you know, uh, psychologist, sociologist, sexologist, spiritual advisor. And they said, we're going to do an in-depth analysis of you mm-hmm. and psychologically and assessments, personality assessments. You tell us your deal breakers. We want to get to know everything about you, what you want, who you want to be with, what you see in the future. And based on that scientific data, if they find somebody in the girl group that they have that's so-called perfect match, the first time you see that person will be at your wedding. And half of the room got up and left. Half of the room got up and left um, (laughs) in the guy group. And I sat there and I was just like, you know what? If I don't take a chance, if I don't pursue this, I will beat myself up Mm -hmm. for it because, you know, the whole what if. But not only that, but I saw it as an opportunity. I didn't see anything negative about it. I said, okay, so you're telling me that you're going to try to learn as much about me as possible. You're going to let me tell you my deal breakers. And then you may find that person. That is a no-brainer to me. And Jamie is someone that I would have never, maybe I would have, but I would say almost never would have crossed paths Mm -hmm. with her. Me being in Jersey, her being a labor and delivery nurse in New York City. I don't think we would ever have crossed paths, Mm -hmm. but we were brought together in this way. Yeah, and I think that's such a beautiful picture of the idea of being open to possibility, being open to the unexpected. And yes, having standards, having values, it's important to know what are my non-negotiables? What is it that I want in a partner? And then releasing the death grip that we have on it and being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, maybe I swiped with this guy online and if I just saw his pictures, he wouldn't seem like the hottest guy in town. But then you meet him in person and you're like, wow, 
actually, we have so much in common and my attraction is growing for you and vice versa. I think there's so much that serves us in all areas of our lives. And we just choose to show up with a posture of openness. And yeah, I'm going to be open to the expected. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, at the very least, you could have had a funny story. I went on this TV show. Yeah. (laughs) But at the end of the day, and anybody that goes through the show... You learn a lot about yourself because you're putting everything down on paper and you have this image in your head of what your perfect life, your wife, and your future will be. Mm -hmm. And when you put that down on paper and they find someone for that and it doesn't work out, well, now you know that that's probably not what you're looking for. And maybe you're looking in the wrong spots. And, you know, but the point is the scariest decision of your life could be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Oh, that belongs on a coffee mug. That's, That's so right. good. Come on. <laughs> no, you asked a question a few minutes ago that I felt was super important and I kind of derailed it by the masturbation conversation. Oh, yeah, no. But you asked, you know, if I had ever felt pressured sexually in a situation and what would I say to someone who didn't want to have sex but their partner was guilting them? Yes, I okay. definitely wanted to touch on that. And I know we're running out of time. I have one more question too after this. So I, I can make this quick then. I think the answer to that is have I experienced pressure in a sexual situation? Of course, yes. And I think almost all of us have at one point or the other. And to that, I just want to say in any situation, I want to be able to show up with informed and enthusiastic consent, which means whatever my boundary is or isn't is okay period, the end. So whether that's, I don't want to have sex until marriage, I get to communicate that. My partner in that moment may have their own boundary and gets to communicate that. You get to decide what your boundaries are. And if you are ever with a person that's pressuring you to do something you do not want to do or don't feel comfortable doing, then I would say that's probably not a person that you want to be with because they're not respecting your boundary. Now, the reality is that your boundary might be a deal breaker for another person and and vice versa, and that's okay. I'm not less worthy or more worthy because I am choosing abstinence until marriage. I just think the bigger picture is to show up from a place of owning what your boundaries are, not apologetically, but being like, here's what I want. And, and you want to be in a relationship with someone that's mutually reciprocal and someone who respects you. And I think anyone who's sexually pressuring you is not respecting you. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it too. And it does come down to a respect thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and if it's just speaking towards consent, because you have talked about it for quite a bit and even on your page. And now that I have kids, the idea of consent is Mm -hmm. really more important than ever. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask, how can one practice consent outside of the bedroom and What are the ways you can teach kids about consent and other aspects so that when they are older, they kind of understand the meaning? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I think, again, all this can start so young. I remember when my youngest sister was in kindergarten, she came home and she said, oh, Sally was pushing me on the playground and she kept doing it even after I gave her an iMessage. And I was like, what's an iMessage for years? For years, I did not know what she meant. I thought that she was like giving her the side eye and being passive aggressive. And (laughs) she's in college now. And she recently told me an iMessage is when you come from a place of ownership. I don't like it when you do X, Y, Z. It makes me feel like X, Y, Z. Please don't do that. (laughs) And basically what they were teaching her in kindergarten was to show up with 
consent in owning what she wanted, whether it was in a conflict resolution state of, I don't like this, as opposed to you're wrong, you're bad. She was saying owning. So consent is owning your voice, owning your boundary, and communicating those things. So teaching our children from a very young age to take ownership over what they want and don't want, and then giving them the permission to communicate that. I think it's so easy in the home to almost have like a don't ask, don't tell policy of, you know, well, if you admit you did the wrong thing, then you're going to be punished. As opposed to what if we gave our children the space to be human and acknowledge either what they want, what they did, um, Mm -hmm. their desire, and then normalize that. And then we get to decide how to to move forward. And I think also with kids too, I, something that felt really powerful to me that's been years ago now, but one of my best friends had a baby and I was visiting them and she was a toddler at the time, like maybe two. And I like squatted and I was like, oh, give me a hug. And she said no. And I think most parents are like, give, give, her, give your auntie a hug, you know? And my friend responded, your body, your choice. And yeah. I was like, dang, way to go, mom. Like, yeah. you're, let's teach our kids that they're allowed to say yes and no to their own boundaries. And so not forcing our kids to, well, go hug your grandma. Well, if they don't want to hug their grandma, they don't need to hug their grandma. We've taken that stance too with Henley and it's come up with other friends that have come over. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you know, give me a hug or say hello. And they're shy. She's like, okay, it's that that's your choice. It's totally okay. And not yeah. making a big deal out of it. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And um, this will be our last question Mm because I know that we have to go, but something that Jamie is super passionate about, and really we both are, but it's the culture of victim blaming and how inappropriate it is. As someone, and this is coming from Jamie, um, as someone who has been sexually assaulted, she takes this very seriously, as do I, and I know that you do too. I would love to ask, how can we move forward in a society where unfortunately victim blaming is almost the norm? Yeah, it definitely is the norm. And I mean, I think part of it can feel really overwhelming. How do we start turning the Titanic when you feel like there's like three people in the ocean trying to push the boat (laughs) to turn it around? I think a huge step to make in reframing assault is first, instead of saying, oh, this woman was assaulted, this man assaulted this woman or this, we put the onus, even in the storytelling of the incident, we make it about what the victim did or experienced as opposed to what the predator chose to do. And so even rewriting how we talk about it. And I think two narratives like boys will be boys, which that wasn't necessarily explicitly taught from the pulpit when I was growing up in church, but things like, well, boys are more sexual, so girls cover your body, so boys don't sin. What's the message underneath that message? Right. Boys, boys will are be gonna, boys. Yeah, boys are going to sin. And, yeah. yeah, and so boys are just animals. They can't control their urges, so they can't be held responsible. And so then we put the back-breaking pressure of an entire gender's sexual integrity on women, and it's crushing. And so yeah. in that, we have a low view of men. We say, oh, you know, boys will just be boys. So they're just animals. They can't control themselves. <laughs> So we have a very low view of men and that low view of men weaponizes and impresses women. And so no one's winning. 
So how do we change that narrative? I think we start teaching our men how to be men of integrity. Let's have a high view of men. I want to say, I have a high view of men. I believe that men have the capacity to take ownership over their desire. I think so too. I believe men have it within them to have the discipline to not go past someone's boundaries, to not follow someone home. And so I think we have to stop saying boys will be boys. She was asking for it. And I think a huge avenue of how this will change is when men start talking to men about being better men. I say this all the time. And after having a daughter and then having a son, everything was like, oh, wait till your daughter hits the dating stage or what happens when your daughter is you know, at that point where she hits puberty. And, and I said, I honestly think it's just as important to teach my son the right way to do things, mm-hmm. how to respect and how to value, you, you know, knowing your own worth and yeah. being able to communicate that and just live by it. You know, I just always saw it as equal mm-hmm. because, you know, girls growing up as a very horny teenager and a very horny adult, you know, there's restriction that you can have. And when you have the education and when you have something, and you know, education is just so important young. But I always, always had said, you know, I want to be able to teach my son the same things, mm-hmm. you know, just respect and what it is and call it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah, I see that question came up a lot yeah. as soon as I had a daughter. Really? Sure. Yeah. And and I think when we zoom out and a conversation about oppression and abuse of power, oppression stops not when the oppressed start saying, hey, hello, stop oppressing me, um, <laughs> but when the person in power starts taking responsibility. And so in this case, this would be the narrative around victim blaming. When the predator starts taking responsibility, and I think what's hard, a lot of my guy friends are like, but I'm not a predator. I'm like, great. Let's start having healthy conversations between men and women of here's what it's like to be a woman. And here's what you might not understand about if I'm walking home from my car in a parking lot at night, I'm on edge because most women will have a story where they've been followed. And and so I think it starts with a posture of let's listen to each other. Mm. Let's listen to each other. Let's have honest conversations and let's be committed to changing the narrative from day one. Okay, so great. You know, you're not like overtly being a predator to women. Great. But (laughs) what are maybe small ways that you're living in a way that says, you know, well, boys will be boys? Or, you know, she was totally asking for it. She did that thing. I think these things are typically not as explicit as we think. They're subtle and below the surface. And it takes, I think, a commitment to having a growth mindset. Like, wow, I don't think that I'm being offensive or oppressive to someone who is being victim blamed. But what if I was? What if I got curious about that? And how can I be committed to growing? Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you and your book. And I really enjoyed our conversation today. Where can people find you to look you up? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. We had some real talk and I'm, yes, I'm really, we did. we did. And I'm grateful for both of you guys and your stories. So thanks for having me. You can get my book, Sexless in the City, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Kindle, Audible. Um, you can learn more about the book at sexlessinthecitybook.com. My social media and website is The Refined Woman, and my weekly podcast is The Refined Collective. 
Amazing. Well, I appreciate the time today and yeah, look forward to possibly chatting in the future. And yeah, anytime that you want more real talk, I'm always open to it. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again, Kat. You know, I love conversations just like that. I love when no topic is really off the table, but you have an educated conversation and a purposeful conversation about some of these taboo topics. And I've always been an open book and plan on being an open book with both my son and daughter and any future children that I have, because I think it's so important that kids grow up knowing respect, knowing self-worth, knowing value and knowing to respect and value others and respect and value boundaries and consent. And everything that we talked about today is super helpful. And I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that conversation. We have another great podcast episode coming up next week. Stay tuned for everything Hot Marriage Cool Parents by visiting our social media page at Hot Marriage Cool Parents or you can go to at Doug Hainer or at Jamie and Otis on social media platforms to find out more. Just reach out. We love hearing from you. Wear a mask, stay safe. And if you like something, maybe leave a review. We love reading our five-star reviews and giving a shout out there. So happy to do so. And we do read all your comments. So thank you so much again. Be safe, have fun, smile more, and goodbye.